Just a quick word before we uh, start this uh, sermon. It was probably exactly a year ago that I went off on my sermon planning retreat for this year. And three people in this congregation chose this scripture to be preached in 2015. And without even knowing what was going on, I scheduled this scripture for this Sunday. And a couple days ago, or yesterday, we had the events in Paris. Isn't it amazing how God works? Just amazing. You know, when we, when we witness events like what took place in, in Paris this weekend, you know, we, we wonder just why things like that have to happen. You know, on a, on a much smaller scale, much, much smaller scale, yet equally real in our lives, there are times when we find ourselves having to deal with the stress or the pressure of a situation in our lives that we never dreamed could be happening. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've, you've, you're, you're wondering how your life came to where it is right now. Maybe it's a place that you never expected to find yourself. And it's not where you hoped it would be. That describes you, or maybe, maybe you're, just, you're just wondering what happened to your life. This message from Romans 8 is for you. You know, we've, we've all experienced bewilderment and astonishment at these catastrophic turns in our lives, haven't we? You know, we, we close our eyes, we, hope, you know, we go to sleep, we hope to wake up and discover it's all been a dream. I remember after Hurricane Katrina, I went to sleep. Well, maybe I just dreamed about that storm. You've had the equivalent of Katrina's in your life. Storms that have come up and you say, how in the world, why is this happening? I've been there more than once in my life. Yet what Paul writes to the Christians in Rome is a reminder to us that even when life takes unexpected turns, God still knows what he's doing. I want to spend most of our time together this morning going through the verses in this passage. So if you brought your Bible with you, I I, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Romans 8. If you have your Bible on your phone, I won't think you're playing video games. I used to think that was happening. Why are all these people in the church playing video games? No, they're reading their Bible on their phone. Let's start with verse 26 in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Think about that. Think about that, that thought. You know, we, we can't see the Holy Spirit. We don't always feel the Holy Spirit. But if we've given our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not just with us, He's in us. And notice in this verse, what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit helps us if we're ever in a time of weakness. No, that's not what he says. He says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
See, we're always in a state of weakness because of our human frailty. And that's something, I don't know about y'all, but that's something I don't want to ever admit, that we need help. You know, like toddlers, when, they're, you know, when people are little, I want to do it myself. Remember our son Daniel, he was just emphatic about that. I'm going to do it myself. We're still that way when we grow up. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need help from anybody. That's weakness. You can't show weakness. What did that commercial say? Never let him see you sweat. We can't have weaknesses. I mean, I'm so stubborn. I'd drive 50 miles in the wrong direction, even if the GPS, GPS was telling me where to go, because I knew what was right. We don't need help from anybody. I mean, if we're so strong, if we don't need help from anybody, if we have so much going for us, then why would we need God's help in the first place? See, sometimes I think we have this understanding in our minds that, that God in our life is like taking a couple of Advil. Oh, I'm stressed today. I better take a God pill. Oh, I'm going through a tough time. Where's that bottle of God? I need, I need some. It's like we just take God out when we think that we need him. See, that's a misunderstanding of who we are as human beings. I mean, we have to admit that we're weak. We have to admit that we need help. That's why Jesus came in the first place, because we couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't get to where God is. So God came to where we are. See, for alcoholics, that's the first step, admitting that they have a problem. And it's that first step that can be so tough. When it comes to our relationship with God, the first step is acknowledging that we need God's help. Because we're not strong enough or smart enough or good-looking enough to make it through life on our own. So if the Holy Spirit, Paul says, helps us in our weakness... How does he do it? Well, look at what Paul says. He says, for we don't even know what we should pray for. Have you ever been in that point in your life? Lord, I know I need to pray, but I just don't know where to start. Lord, I know that I need to pray, but the words just aren't coming. Life is just spinning, and we just can't understand why things are happening. I mean, there are days that, I mean, around here at the church, in the office where I've thought that way. Lord, how am I going to keep up with all this? But listen to what Paul says. He says, the Holy Spirit prays for us with deep sighs that are so passionate that they can't even be expressed in human words. See, we don't have to know where to start in our prayers because the Holy Spirit has already been praying for us. Think about how profound that is. I mean, try to wrap your mind around that idea. The Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, prays for you. The Holy Spirit prays to God the Father for you. Doesn't that just seem a bit surreal? 
I mean, shouldn't we be praying to the Holy Spirit? Why would the Holy Spirit be praying to God the Father for us? I mean, prayer is a holy conversation. And Paul says the Holy Spirit talks to God, or, talks to God the Father in an in emotional way on our behalf. It's not like, uh, yes, uh, God the Father, um, you know, Mike Voigt's down there on earth. He's having a little bit of a problem. Uh, you might want to take a look into that. Uh, could you just help him out? No, that's not how. He prays with emotion. Deep conviction and passion that is so intense that words don't even come out. That's how intently the Holy Spirit prays for us. I mean, Paul here is describing to us the depths to which God genuinely cares about the situations that we're in. And then in verse 27, we see that the Holy Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's will. You know, people have always been wondering, what is God's will for my life? Well, it's simple. To live a faithful and holy life for Jesus. That's God's will for your life. Anything other than that is our decision. Live faithfully to God. That's his will for your life. That's it. It's it's that simple. You know, sometimes when we go through these difficult situations in life, when life seems to be turned upside down, it's in these most difficult times that our true faith and trust in God is revealed. See, it's easy to trust God when things are going well. But when things aren't going so well, it's really difficult. Unless our faith is grounded That's when the true test comes. See, because God is who God is, we can trust him. And all of that that I just talked about sets us up for this famous verse. Romans 8, 28. Remember, you had to memorize it in Sunday school when you were a kid. Please tell me y'all had to memorize this in Sunday school when you were a kid. Everybody has to memorize this in Sunday school when they were a kid. Romans 8, 28. Listen to it again. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, sometimes when I'm trying to understand something, when I'm trying to understand a verse in the Bible, I first start by looking at what the verse doesn't say rather than what it does say. That kind of helps me. So let's look at what Romans 8.28 is not saying. First of all, Paul is not saying that whatever happens is good. There are things that happen that aren't good. Paul isn't saying that suffering and evil are, or suffering and evil and tragedies are, are really blessings in disguise. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul isn't saying that everything's going to work out if we have enough faith. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. And Paul's not saying that we should always understand why God allows tragedies in our lives to happen. That's not what Romans 8.28 is saying. See, the Bible never downplays horrible tragedies. 
The Bible isn't about fairy tales in which tragedies always turn into blessings. Those are fairy tales. Those belong in Disney movies. Tragedies turn into blessings. It's not always that way, is it? The Bible is about real world, our real lives. Things that we can't even explain. We don't know why they happen. I mean, when a child gets cancer and dies, it's awful. It's not a blessing, it's awful. When a child, when a family member gets in a car accident, it's a tragedy. When terrorists described as Syrian refugees murder hundreds of innocent people in Paris, France, it's horror. The Bible never asks us to pretend that tragedy isn't tragedy or to pretend that our pain isn't real. But in the midst of our pain, in the midst of these tragedies, we who are followers of Jesus simply must see the active involvement of God. See, what Paul is saying here in this verse is that when the unexpected tragedies of life happen, we can trust that God knows what he's doing, even if we don't. Now, God doesn't cause these things to happen. It's just part of living in a fallen world. I mean, when we have free will, we can use it for good or for evil. We live in a fallen world. That's why reaching the world for Christ is such an important part of who we are as, as, as a church. That's why what breaks my heart about what happened in Paris is for the survivors because less than 1% of the population of France identifies themselves as a committed evangelical Christian. Less than 1%. It's less than 5% for all of Europe. It's a region of the world that needs Jesus. But we don't think of that as a mission field because that's where we go on fancy vacations. What we have to remember in Romans 8.28 is that when Paul is talking about these issues, he's addressing people who love God and who are living faithfully for Christ. See, God takes all of these negative things in life and he makes them work for good, not for evil. This verse also says that as followers of Christ, we're called according to God's purpose for our lives. You know that God has a purpose for your life? Every person in this room, God has a purpose for your life. There's a reason why you were born where you were to the family that you were and the culture that you were and the generation that you were. God has a purpose for your life. People spend years, they spend lots of money going to conferences, stressing themselves out trying to find out God's purpose for their lives. God's purpose for our lives, for your life, for my life, is in verse 29. Save your money. Just read the scriptures. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
Now when we read that, don't get tripped up by that word predestined. What verse 29 means is that it's been part of God's plan for eternity for Christians to be conformed to the image of God. That's the purpose for your lives that verse 28 is addressing. God's purpose for you is that you become like Jesus. That you be conformed to the image of Jesus. Let's let's wrap this up. Let's get to the bottom of all this. We're going to experience tragedy in our lives. Welcome to earth. Welcome to a fallen world. Every one of us is going to experience tragedies in our lives. We're all going to have unexpected mishaps. We're going to face hurt. We're going to face suffering. Again, we live in a fallen world where things like that happen. But what this scripture passage is telling us is that God takes all of these horrible things and he makes them good because they work to help us become like Jesus. They help us to grow in our faith. Now, for people who have no relationship with Christ, they don't have this hope, do they? They just try to survive and fight another day. So pray for the survivors of France. They have no hope in their lives if they don't know Jesus. See, God has a greater plan for all of us than to just sur- to survive until tomorrow. I mean, since God isn't limited by time and space, he sees the totality of our lives. God isn't limited to a timeline. He's able to step outside of time and look at the whole of our lives. And God calls us to himself through his son Jesus so that he can form our lives into the very image of Christ's life. See, that's the reality of our lives. The reality of our lives is not the situational heartaches that we face in life on earth. The reality is that God is changing us into the image of Christ sometimes making us stronger in our faith because of these things that happen. We may never understand why things happen the way they do. I'm still questioning in my life why things have happened the way that they did. But in spite of that, we can know without any doubt, without any doubt, that God certainly knows what he's doing. And if God knows what he's doing, and if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and that Spirit of God is praying to God the Father for us, y'all, we're going to be just fine. It's going to be all right. God's got this. It may not be the way we understand it. It may not be the way that we want God to do it. God can handle this. He's got a bigger picture than we do. Even in those unexpected tragedies that happen in the world, 
as the people of Christ, we absolutely, without a doubt, have to trust God. Let's pray.